Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue in America. I'm Suzanne I remember when my first nephew was born. We were all so excited to be aunties and uncles. Each family member contributed to his growth, his passions, his discovery process and development. Everything from music, cooking, language, yoga, sports, and more. We were his village, his bilingual village. Today's children are faced with a myriad of both challenges and opportunities. Navigating all of that can be daunting, and so partnerships and supports are necessary to prepare our bilingual children for tomorrow. Today we'll hear experiences that embody the importance of being a team member of the village that commits to the bilingual success of children and families. Rosa Orzuna is the eldest of nine siblings and remembers crossing the border. After arriving in America, her father wanted them to love their new homeland while at the same time not allowing them to ever lose their native language. Rosa shares how it is easy for her to love both countries, especially her native Mexico, because she grew up with the sounds and smells that her siblings did not. She is the bridge for her siblings, and so they too can experience Mexico through her memories. Let's listen in as segment producer Suzanne Lasser speaks with Rosa. But I think about your role as one of the eldest in the Orsuna, not just your family, but in the extended family, and how you have helped to maintain the traditions of the quinceanera. Share a little bit about that, because I do see that in your family, that connection. Yes, the quinceanera, like you mentioned, is like a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful tradition that we have, and it's extremely important for us to, to value, to respect, to continue the tradition because our siblings, my siblings, I'm the oldest of nine. My mother, my father had five of us. And then my mother, which has, she has an amazing heart, adopted uh, four of my cousins, which are considered my siblings. For us, it's always important to remind them of the importance to call themselves Mexican-American and to respect the tradition, to value where they come from. And at the beginning, it was hard for some of them because some of them didn't want to be called Mexican. They, they were wanted to be just Americans, so we had to enforce to them, yes, you're American, but you are also Mexican-American because your mother and your father are Mexicans. And we had to continue the traditions and, and little by little try to tell them, this is what we do, this is what a Mexican family does, this is what we eat, this is what we drink, this is what we celebrate, and it's hard. It's hard to almost educate them in, in that sense because they're not living like like me, like me that I actually crossed the border and, and I knew what Mexico was and I knew the smells and I knew the touch. And it's hard to teach something to them, our values and our traditions. And it's hard to almost teach them like, we love Mexico. It's very hard, but 
beautiful that we, I always try to tell them myself as well that they need to love their culture, especially going back to the quinceanera traditions. That's when you become a, a woman. And every one of my siblings, my sisters, has had one. And even if it's a humble one, a very luxurious one, we have tried to always do one because that's something memorable for your entire life. You always will think about your beautiful dress, getting your relaxed doll, changing your shoe, which is changing from being a little girl to being a grown woman. And most importantly, crown. Like you get crowned that you're welcome into a beautiful queen to to woman. Do you ever feel like there are things that you're giving up in order to assimilate into American culture? Yes, you definitely have to. In a way, it's not that you want to. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you're afraid, especially when like a lot of news or like something that has to do with the government is happening and tensions are high. Even if you were born in Mexico, you love it, you love Mexico and everything. Sometimes you cannot say aloud and be so proud and say, "Yes, I'm Mexican and just Mexican." That's it. Sometimes you kind of have to hide in the shadows if you want to say it like that, because you can't say that. You never know who's watching. You never know. Who's going to record? And it's like this little fear that you always live with. So you basically give up, I guess, a little bit of how proud I am to represent Mexico in every way. Because sometimes you you are afraid in a way. Only when tensions are high, not every time. Sounds like you've learned to be cautious about how you share or celebrate, depending on the, the climate in in the community at the time. And I'm sure that that's something that's very difficult to do. Right? feel torn yeah and especially as the eldest and you're trying to model for the younger generation the siblings how to be proud but also keeping them safe knowing that there can be unfortunately people who do harm because of their fears of people who are not necessarily doing that i think that what i'm what i'm feeling is i'm listening to is this ongoing struggle that, that there is, right, in being bilingual in America, and that push and pull for wanting to be part of the, you know, society where you are, but also not turning away from society that, you know, you want traditions that made you the young lady that you are today. Yes, definitely. It's like, like you said, it's always like you're trying to adapt to your new home, you have to be careful because Spanish, especially in the Mexican community, or let's just say on my, in my family, if you become way too advanced and try to perfect your English and try to associate yourself with other, other people that are not Mexican, my family starts in a way judging. You always have to be careful and leave thinking, you know, I have to be I'm Americanized in a way, but I cannot too Americanized because I always have to go back to being Mexican and you know you have to live like two lives like basically. So I think that having two lives and I'm sure it's very difficult but it's all you're also really fortunate that you can see from two different perspectives and because of that Rosie I see you as someone who helps bridge what the experience is whether someone is Mexican, Mexican-American or American born family roots from Mexico. Definitely, yes, that's that's 100% correct. Your 
you just have so much to bring and to to help your family, your Mexican family, but you also you you have so much to bring to America and to make sure you always set a good example for your siblings and tell them that America is amazing and beautiful, but your country and your family and your roots and your morals and your values are also beautiful and those those things are going to guide you to make it a little bit easier to be bilingual and to make it a little bit easier to be in, in America and create a new home. We heard Rosa talk about the push and pull experience of being a Mexican living in America, how she remains proud, but not too proud, especially when the social climate is not hospitable towards Mexicans, Mexican-Americans, or Americans of Mexican descent. She still battles through how best to honor being Mexican while also fitting into the America she grew up in. That ongoing struggle of being American, but not too American, because of the way that others and even family members look at her, wondering if she has forgotten her humble beginnings, when in actuality, this passionate young lady has become an expert at intertwining her dual identities. Judy Alcar, Deputy Director, and Isabel Villar, Executive Director, are known throughout Westchester County for their organization, El Centro Hispano. For 45 years, El Centro, located in White Plains, New York, has worked to assist and strengthen families as they transition into a new culture. Isabel arrived in White Plains when she was just 16 years old. She came to New York along with her mother, father, and younger sister, having left her brother behind in Cuba. The entire family would never again be united. Judy arrived here from Cuba at the age of 14. She was the eldest in her family and spoke no English. She quickly realized the importance in learning the culture of her new home. These two women met one another four years after Isabel first opened the doors to El Centro, and today, four and a half decades later, they continue to selflessly champion numerous supports to assist families in ways that their families were not. Let's listen as segment producer Suzanne Lasser speaks to them and hear why the view of the life's work is as important in the long-term success of newly arrived family. They too are part of the village that supports bilingual children. Here's Isabel's interview. Isabel, hi, and thank you for joining me today. What has your experience been as someone who is bilingual in America? And what are some of the ways that you are helping immigrants who are new to your community? Let me give you a little a bit of a history. Okay. And I am going to try to be very brief. So I came to White Plains with no word of English because, you know, in our countries, when you learn English, you learn. Tom is a boy, Mary is a girl, that kind of thing. You don't learn English. Yeah. So. Uh, I was thrown into the White Plains High School, and that was the first uh, educational and social and cultural shock of my life. At that time, they were not bilingual, they were not even ESOL programs, 1966. 
So they threw me in the in back of the room, and uh, it was very difficult. And what I didn't have anybody, the, the teachers and everybody at that time, everybody was Anglo in the classroom. I was in the upper levels. Very difficult. Uh, my only friends that I was able to make was when I decided to take Spanish because I wanted to keep my language and my culture. And there I was able to find ways of communicating with kids. Of course, my best friend became one of the Anglo kids in the classroom that felt sorry for me and took me to McDonald's because I was very lonely there. There were no Hispanics there at that time. And the Hispanics that were there were born in this country that they refused to speak Spanish, which was very sad. And I was so upset all the time because I didn't want to be here. I wanted to go back home. I could not adjust. I didn't have any friends. And then the friends, the people that were there at the high school, they said, no, the Spanish teacher, that was a very nice lady, Miss Party. I would never forget her. So I decided to live by myself. But then I make these friends with this uh, Anglo group that knew Spanish. And of course, the teacher made me tell my story. And when they heard my story and that our family was divided, and that's how I was able to get some friends there. Very difficult. I, I thought that I was not going to be able to make it there. Then I got the opportunity to go uh, with scholarship to Manhattanville. And then that's when my life began changing because I was able to be with a group of Hispanics. At that time, it was only girls. Girls that they were just like me. I did it because I received so much from this country when I came here that my own country threw me out of Cuba, that I was able to get an education. And I began to feel free here in this country, not that my, my country, that everything was oppression, oppression. So I said, this is my way, my way to, to do something and give a little bit back to this country that has given me so much. I thought that I was going to be at the center just for a few years to begin, and then I was going to, to let somebody else do it. But it became my life. It became my life. And it has been my life right up to now. What do you see that families have to give in order to assimilate? when coming to America. Now you have so many Hispanics here. And now there is something called the power of the group. Hmm. Now these Hispanics, the Hispanic families here, will not forget their language. The first program that we established at Centro Hispano was ESOL. Because I knew that they had to learn the language. And it was difficult because pe people didn't believe in that. They just wanted to make the money and they just wanted to go back to their country. That mentality, that mentality has changed throughout the years. Now people, they know that many of them have to stay and they try to do their best. Our ESOL classes are always full because they like to train English, but they want to keep their culture. So that's a, yeah, so I think that's a, a great segue. So the last question I just want to ask you is, how do you see El Centro Hispano as a bridge to the Latinx community that you do as example, a bridge? anything that happens in the city, okay, we have, well, we're having a lot of problems now, but this is a very strange <laughs> and very catastrophic situation. But for example, we have a meeting, we invited people from the city, and the city come, 
and they we serve as a bridge to get information to the people. And the same thing has happened with the Board of Ed. I think that uh, Centris Panel has been an agent of change, like serving for a bridge when things happen. Immigration, that's a big thing. Every time that something happens, we have a meeting with immigration, the city comes, the school system, the attorneys and everything to give information to the people. But at the same time, whenever we see that the people that have to do this, they do it, we just take a back seat and we support whatever is happening in town. And believe me, White Plains, from the point of view of Hispanics, we have come a long way, a long way. So it, it's a process of, uh, I think, education. Education is the base of everything. Suzanne Lasser also spoke with Judy Alcar. Here's their conversation. I appreciate all that you are doing and taking time, especially now. How you and Isabel view yourselves as the bridge to the Latinx community? When I came from Cuba, and I was here only with my mother and my siblings, and I was the oldest of the family, which meant that I have to do everything to help my mom navigate all the different, you know, the school system, the hospitals, etc. And I did not speak any English. I was at the high school, I was only 14 years old. And um, I could see how important it was not only to learn the language, but to learn how the country functioned. Because I was coming from another culture, from another system, everything was completely different. So I helped as many people as I could, even when I was in high school, in college, filling out applications, etc., because I could see the need. Then I was very lucky to meet Isabel because I was looking for a job, and I was doing my second master's at this time. And I met Isabel, and she asked me to please come to Central Spano to work, and she will get me a teaching job. And it was very difficult for Isabel, even different, more difficult than me, because when I came, the sector had been already in existence for four years. But then we could see that at the time there was no bilingual education, there was no uh, other languages taught in school but French. And we needed, we were teaching Spanish to the children, so they would not lose their culture. We had a lot of Spaniards in the community, Cubans, Puerto Ricans, that wanted to make sure that their children spoke the language. So we were teaching Spanish to the children. So El Centro became the, the center where everybody came to get help. So we have to provide translators. So every, every time there was a meeting with the school, we have to be the translators for the parents because there was no, no one in the school system that would do the services. Then we were very, very lucky to get Dr. Marcos and then Dr. Yonavsky. When they came, they saw the need and then they began to hire many others. And now it's a heaven. That's why people are living in, in one in one apartment, we have families of four and five living together. And we have seen it in our children that now they have come to Los Angeles Panel and then they have done the full circle. Now they are helping the community that helped them before. That's why we have seen the need to make sure that these children appreciate not only the new culture that they have, the new culture in which they have been born, but to keep the culture of their parents and grandparents, because then they will lose their identity. It will be, there will be an incredible vacuum if you do not relate back to your goals. 
Yeah, so I think that um, what you said about the full circle and brings you back to what you were saying about your own personal experience and how you came here and had to learn and translate for your family. And now you're doing that for countless families over the past 45 years, Real Centro. And so you just brought up um, a really interesting point that I want to talk a little bit more about. And it's what you talked about the idea of holding on to one's roots. What do you see or what have you seen in your time that families have to give up in order to assimilate? In their countries, they have no way to grow. There, there is no future for them nor their children. So they would rather come here and have very difficult experiences so that their children can work and that I mean their children can go to school and they can get a good job. The problem is that some of them are not educated and then they allow the children to do you see, I don't even know how to express it. They 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 allow the children to become very Americanized, but not in the good sense of the word. They are not, they feel that keeping the traditions from their country is not going to help the children here. Some of them do, and those that do are the ones that succeed, because they are the ones that I think worst problems is when families give the children the freedom that they feel they should give them because they feel that the children know English and they don't. The children know how to navigate, how to do computers, how to do technology, and they don't. So they feel very inferior to their children. So instead of becoming the parent, they become the child. And, the, and then when that happens, that's when we fail. And that's what we have seen in the schools when the children do not respect the parents, they have no control of the children. Well, as you were talking to that made me think about the different programs that El Centro offers, right, in terms of empowering parents and maintaining that parent-child relationship, right, for example, where you teach technology skills to the parents, where you provide GED offerings to the families, where you provide parenting classes on issues that may not have arisen back home in their native countries, but they do arise now raising children in American culture. That's very important that you mention that. When we, uh, we even to the fact that now we give it to them for free or $50 to make them understand that if they, if they do not learn the technology, the children will control them because they don't know what the children are doing. They don't know if the children are doing homework. They cannot communicate with the teachers. So we tell them, and we have seen it, that the parents who really get involved with the school, the parents who really learn the technology and they learn how to do things, the child succeeds. I know now we have a lot of new steps have to create with providing yes. digital literacy to our families. And I think that parents also now truly understand why it's important that they play an active role, even if they don't speak the language. There's more work to be done. Now we're so many people requesting computer classes. You know, Little Tetrispano has a partnership with BOSIS, and BOSIS is teaching online the equivalent, the high school equivalency, the English classes, the citizenship classes, and it's going beautifully. And so that just shows you, right? Think about the 
capability of our families to adapt and continue to progress in spite of economic hardship, in spite of, but I think that's a, a great way to, to end where we are talking today because it shows that there is still ongoing growth despite hardships and we will support those families along with you. Definitely, we have a community that really wants to be in this country, a community that really wants to be part of the culture, see, that wants to contribute. They are very hardworking people and they do want the best for their children. So if we teach them, if we guide them in the right way, we will have an amazing, amazing accomplishment and we will have a wonderful immigration that will give back to this country exactly the same way that they would have given back in their country they are good good hard-working dedicated people yes judy and isabel shared how the parents would get involved involved in learning english involved in the schooling of their children and involved in the community typically have children who succeed Students who've benefited from El Centro's programs and services have now come full circle and are teaching the next generation of the Latinx community through the current and ever-growing program offerings. Today, we have heard from three women who have actively contributed to the villages that they serve while keeping to the course. We don't always know the impact of our work until years later when someone might make it a point to say thank you or you were an important part of my life, or your contribution made a difference for me. These women stay committed to their missions and understand that it is truly what a bilingual village does to raise a bilingual child. They remind us that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We thank them for embracing their roles, their re leadership, and for speaking their beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.